I wanted to come back here because I've moved around my whole life, but Florida always was the closest thing to home for me. Because when I moved away, I felt like I kind of lost a part of my identity. Hello and welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Finales. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I am here with Brandy Diesel, who is a printmaker. Brandy, hello, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There's actually a large population of people my age that have really dove into printmaking. One of my mentors, Holly Bird, she's an instructor at Dunedin Fine Arts Center for Printmaking, and she said there was, you know, like a 10, 20 year period where it was kind of dying. The yeah, practice yeah. was dying off. And then it's been the past 10 years, there's really been like a real a big interest in it. Like people are buying presses. Like 10 years ago, people were trying to get rid of them. I don't know what it is about my generation, but for me personally, it, it gave me, it solidified the process. I felt like before I went into printmaking, I was always trying different different things, which people naturally do, artists naturally do that. But that when I started that class printmaking one I don't know if it's because the process was so literal in a lot of ways like you have to follow that process but it was also really really hands-on and that appealed to me I've always been a hands-on person and I've always liked problem solving in that way and understanding mechanisms why things how things work and how they relate so I think maybe the cyclical nature of it is what's appealing to me. And, and every art medium has a process, but printmaking, it's very rigid in a sense. I, I identified the process of printmaking as relating to how I deal with things personally. So, you know, starting with percolation period, how am I, what am I going to do next? And then sketching it out and then refining that sketch and then translating it on, you know, a wood block mm-hmm. and then carving it. You wrote, I begin the process of carving material away from the piece of birch plywood. And I just had that sense of carving material away that, you know, that was a very healing process. It's it's gratifying, and I, I still feel that. The reductive process, I even draw, I do, I do graphite drawings, and even that process, a lot of my drawing is removing of pencil. So I actually end up using my eraser more than I do the pencil, but... I think it's a physical thing with printmaking that carving away, it's it's like a getting your aggression out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was a Navy brat and my dad was in the Navy and he was a underwater explosive ordnance diver. So that had a big impact on my upbringing and, and my family history too. My great grandfather was in the Korean War and I have relatives on both sides of my family that have served in the military as far back as Civil War. Mm. So that was always something I was very proud of growing up and um, I was one of the first females to serve in the military myself. But it was a weird balance. As I got older, you know, I knew I was an artist and that's what I wanted to do just didn't seem realistic. I had a lot of people in my surroundings that didn't necessarily support that as a career. You know, you, you're, I was told from a very young age I would join the military. And I, I actually had a scholarship to go to college with my GPA and I graduated high school year early. So although I had college tuition paid for for four years, I didn't feel like I had the support I needed and I didn't have the confidence either. So that's, that's how the Coast Guard came in the picture. So I I did that for four years, and when I got out, I was terrified to start school. 
I knew I wanted to go to school full-time. That was one of my goals. It was very important to me to get a degree in art. And I was terrified to start art class because I didn't do a lot of art while I was in the Coast Guard. I was 17 when I was at my first duty station, and wow. I did not That's know anybody. Very young. I was very young. I was the only female in a department of 35 males. I was pretty mature for being 17, but I was also very naive. So that first year and a half was, was a lot. A lot of things happened, but I did know I was going to not be in that for 20 years. So when I started my art classes in school, the first year I went to a university extension and I didn't declare myself yet. I didn't have, again, I didn't have the confidence to declare myself as an art student. And I had a wonderful art teacher that really supported me to to move to the Maine University, University of Maine. So I transferred up there and I majored in art education, but it wasn't until I was in printmaking, really, that I started honing in on the trauma thing because it was kind of that spot where I was working on my, my work for two years at that point. And that particular instructor, Susan Gross, really wanted people to push themselves in not just the, the practice as a, as a fine craft, but also really push people to explore narrative and personal narrative. She mm-hmm. recognized the importance on art being meaningful and having an impact. And that was also, that was a conversation that was always happening in my art education program too. So I think a lot of people that I graduated with, we were hyper aware of art needs to have meaning. And, and that causes some stress too in itself, but that was a good opportunity for me to kind of start dealing with some things that I had went through, not just in the military myself. And I, and I won't say just negative stuff, but the trauma part, you know, with reflecting on childhood or, you know, things that have happened in my family. So it was really a college for me. It wasn't so much just about academia or or the classes. It was more about also, for me, it gave me a good opportunity to really develop as a human, <laughs> a better human. And the GI Bill did set me up financially that I didn't have to work while I was in school. So I was able to fully focus on school. And, mm-hmm. I, and I took that as a good opportunity, not just to focus on my academic work, but on who I was and how I was relating to those things. So that's when the trauma stuff came up was, mm. that was like my gateway into developing as a printmaker. Some of the work that I've seen, it has images of people, people sort of dealing, I think, with a lot of pain. One, welcome, my son, welcome to the machine. Is it sort of a triptych? That series, I called it my man series, Mm. Um, but it was a series I developed in the the last year of university. A lot of that had to do with male figures in my life and kind of, you know, we we talk about feminism a lot and that, that was a very prevalent thing in my class was, you know, like fertility and and that's great. I just like I wanted to address the power thing with men and how that's affected me. So that first triptych is as of a fetus. And so I wanted to create a narrative about serving that experience of, of what it means to to be a child and be innocent and then go through something as extreme and as traumatizing as war and then what happens after that. That basis for that narrative was based on my my great-grandfather you know he he served in the korean war and and growing up i had family members that my my grandmother his daughter would talk about how honorable he was and everyone was very proud of his service but i think i was around 10 or 11 and i came across his war album that he had gifted my mother before he passed away and in this album are pictures of dead 
soldiers, mm. of, um, Korean and Japanese soldiers. Wow. Um, and wow. there was also in there of um, his friends, buddies in uniform, like as if before they were shipped off. You progress through the album and there's like a postcard of a ship or a treaty being signed. And then through the end, it's like you're seeing the bodies. Mm. So this triptych that I created, Welcome My Son, Welcome to the Machine, I wanted to kind of illustrate that transition. We have a tendency in our society to idealize really traumatic things like war. Like we always justify those actions. And even as me being a kid, being proud of my family's history and their service, Mm -hmm. that didn't come without a price, not just to the nation, but to the individual. And we always... I think we're getting there finally. We're talking about those difficult things, but with like my great grandfather, just growing up and hearing, oh, he, you know, how honorable he was. It wasn't until I was older that that discussion came up about him basically being homeless at some point and mm. living out of his truck. And we're pretty sure he had PTSD. He mm-hmm. wasn't diagnosed because at that time, yeah. even now, that's not something people want to be diagnosed with. And he was a Purple Heart recipient. He was an awarded soldier. So that kind of pissed me off, honestly. Because I, I, yeah, it is great that he is honorable. And, and I, I feel the same way. It's great that I'm a veteran. But there are things that happen in those, those situations and in service that you have to carry. And you can't, it, it's with you. And there's a lot of people that don't understand it and they can't identify. And so... That triptych I developed, it was, it's the first panel, it's 12 by 24, it's of a fetus. And the way I carved the lines, it's to evoke a sense of concealment and safety. The middle panel is of a male figure in a a silhouette of an, like a bomb dropping. And then that is rosary beads floating. And then the last panel is of a really thin, malnourished figure in a shape of what looks like a casket. So I I bring this shape of the fetus through the whole panels, but it morphs. So it goes from a fetus form to a bomb to a casket form. And in that last form is, you know, I show like prescription pill bottles and things to illustrate that that's what some people have to deal with for the rest of it. They have these awards, but they also have this other stuff they have to carry with them. It's interesting because woodcutting does seem to me, you know, with the way lines are handled and the sort of 3D aspect to it, to almost lend itself to a kind of a a heavier story, you know? I actually started to call them energy lines because that's when I kind of realized that I could use those to my advantage in expressing the narrative. So... That first panel, you know, it's cyclical lines, and they're very organic and flowy. And then the middle one, they start kind of going outwards. Mm -hmm. They're kind of, they're not as organized. In the male form, they're organized and they connect. But outside of that, Mm -hmm. the bomb shape, explosive shape, they're they're a little hectic. And then it was in that last panel that all the lines are going outwards. This whole concept of memory that's become very explicit to me, it's its from memories and dreams. In terms of the, the imagery, it's like symbolism. I've always been fascinated by that movement. And it's I, I call my artwork social commentary because it is a little more literal than... It's, I'm not abstracting forms. I've, try, I've, I've been leaning towards that and not making things so literal, but it's important to me to develop imagery that not only I relate to and is personal to me, but also has a universal narrative. So I work from that. I work with something thematic that I'm dealing with that's very relevant to me. And then I, I just I start there 
I completed a multiple color woodblock print and it's of these ghostly figures in a cypress swamp. And that is developed off of how I feel when I'm in those mm-hmm. ecosystems. So when I'm out paddle boarding or I'm in Everglades or in a swamp type area, I feel this mysticism present. So that was developing a narrative on how do I depict the loss or the the history that is there. And it's a combination of these different ideas that I have because I, I want it to be interpreted in different ways. I want it to have meaning. It can start from a feeling. I also work with just concepts. I'm married and we met while I was in the Coast Guard and we worked on the same base. And so he's still in, he's still active duty. I wanted to come back here because I've moved around my whole life, but Florida always was the closest thing to home for me. Mm -hmm. I've always been very nostalgic about my childhood here because when I moved away, I I felt like I kind of lost a part of my identity. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to, it was important for me to, to, to revisit that. And, and figure out what that relationship is. And so that's been a large part of my work. Florida heritage and iconography and all that is, is working through that. I, I think some of the better parts of my childhood and memories were outside here. For instance, the, the best childhood memories I have are when we lived in the Keys. My dad was a park ranger at John Penny Camp, and this was mm. after he got out of the Navy. And so we lived on park property, and we lived in a mangrove and key lime grove. So every day I was able to run around barefoot on this giant grove. Every day my mom and I would ride our bikes to the park and go snorkeling. And so we were just always outside. We had the coral reef right there. So I, for me personally, I try not to obsess about nostalgia or the past, but that is a part of who you are. And it's important for me to revisit those, those good things and those things that molded me into who I am and gave me a sense of identity and purpose because I, I, I didn't realize how much it affected me to move away. That's been the focus of my work, is trying to understand that connection and advocate for it. But also, you know, I, I want to still develop the trauma portion of my work, but I want it to relate it to the natural world that's clearly threatened and a lot of people are addressing in their artwork, because it is an issue. I actually I completed a, a children's book that I illustrated. The focus of that is to bring awareness to the First Peoples that lived in Florida. So a lot of my studies up at the university was about indigenous community and First Peoples. I have Cherokee and Lakota descent, but I didn't know a lot about it. I didn't realize until I moved back down here and was writing curriculum for a high school, an art curriculum, that I was doing research on the history of this area. And even though I have, you know, six years of public school education from Florida, I only heard about Seminole people. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, through this research of writing curriculum about the local history, I find out about Tokabaga people, mound builders that resided here 500 years ago and, you know, thousands of years before that. That was really disturbing to me that I had no awareness of them or other first peoples of Florida before Seminole. So that book is a story about the mound builders. So it's Mm. um, bringing in creation stories into that and the elements of that, but bringing awareness to that society that lived here. So the book is about the mound at Felipe Park in Safety Harbor. Of course, I show up to the mound and there's somebody playing Pokemon Go 
<laughs> and then there's someone jogging up and down. And I remember thinking, I bet they have no idea they're on top of a sacred, yeah. you know, memorial, basically, because that's one of the few mounds in the area that's still around. Yeah. There was thousands in this area. I also, for a while, was volunteering with FPAN, which is the Florida Archaeology Society. So they have a scout network where you can volunteer and you go to the different archaeological sites and you monitor them because they're dealing with the rising water. The coastline's disappearing, so there's a lot of history there that's disappearing with that. So it's a story I created. It's a combination of fiction and nonfiction, but it basically I give the mound a life. So wow. I'm, I, it's a turtle to begin with. So I really, it was important to me to bring in the, the aspects of creation stories. But I was like, how do I make mounds interesting? So I wanted to give it a life. So it starts as a turtle and then it, it comes across Tokabaga village. And then it, it addresses first contact and the mound dying eventually. So the the culture and, and history that was here long before Spanish explorers. I'm really interested in how environment carries memory. Mm. So I want to illustrate that because mm -hmm. even though we might not necessarily see an artifact or see something there that was there hundreds of years ago, it existed. So there is a living memory there. So I am trying to illustrate that and figure out what that looks like. And I'm also bringing color. A lot of my earlier work doesn't have a lot of color. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I'm really trying to push in my work now is bringing color into that. I'm using a lot of like really rich, like I wouldn't say neon, but because I'm also kind of fascinated by those really like vibrant and, and like highlighter colors because mm -hmm. they are so not natural. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm kind of working with that. Like how can I integrate that into these landscapes and narratives? So, and how those, what, what's that saying? Thank you very much for joining us, Brandy Diesel. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.